0: And talk, entertaining and informative radio for the Sunshine State
2: Yep. And the car is yours, just so long as you keep working for Payne's heirs. Heirs? What heir? He left
0: everything to a niece of his. He didn't even know from up north. Molly is something or other.
2: Oh, no. (laughs) Mayo! I want that crazy drunk off of my land. Hey! Who in the hell are you?
0: This here is the niece, Leroy. The niece.
2: It started off a little rocky, and went steadily downhill from there. What's in the jugs? None of your damn business. I'm making it my business. Alcohol. What are you hillbillies doing? You making this stuff? in selling it
0: this is absurd i've inherited it still but old leroy here has got to get cranking them gear
2: where are you going
0: bring light into the world honey pie but success has a way of changing
2: things and people what a glorious morning for an escape are you nearly ready to go babe i don't we should leave today, Daryl.
0: I'm beginning to like it here. Molly and Leroy struggle to reach an accommodation, business, and otherwise. I'll tell you what. We'll talk about it a little later, when you've had time to think it over for a spell. Be seeing ya. It's a learning experience. In the finer points of partnership for Carol Lindley and Gary Lockwood. And
2: a good time for you. Running moonshine. Down a road.
1: And now... Hey, Rocky! Watch me pull a rabbit out of my
2: hat! Again?
1: Locking up my sleeve. Presto! <laughs> no doubt about it. I gotta get another hat.
2: Now here's something we hope you'll really like. Are you crazy?
0: Hey, everybody, this is Mark Farner, the founding member of Grand Funk Railroad, and I'm listening to nostalgic radio in cars where they'll knock you alive.
1: Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google, Tantalk, 1340.com, and you can see us live on the studio. No, wait a minute, live in the studio. Live? Is that it? Yeah, live in the studio in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to uh, check out our website, Goldstein Motorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our past shows, check out Nostalgic Radio and Cars, where you can find all our past shows. Good evening, Bobby. How are you? I'm
2: doing well and you know, the day the day you uh, want to do the show from the roof, I can run a mic up there and then you can say uh, you can see me live on the studio.
1: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because you'll be sitting here and you know, it's it's kind of, you know, it's routine. You know, we've been doing this for what, 12 yeah. years now, over 12 years. Yeah. But every once in a while, it's hard to believe that it could actually happen. You can actually like go blank. You know, and it's called, I mean, I just did a little sample there of Dead Air, but, uh, you know, you're my... Mu- I've heard worse. <laughs> You've heard worse? Okay. But anyway, so, all right, we got a great show for you tonight. We're back on our music uh, theme for the summer here, and... Uh,
2: much anticipated music.
1: Must anticipate. Much, 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 much... Much anticipated, yeah. And, um, I mean, we got some car guys lined up, and there's a couple, you know, big events coming up here in the, over the summer. Actually... Uh, I think Lamont was just this past weekend, what, the 24-hour Lamont. Mans? Um, there was a big Porsche event, in uh, the Porsche Parade was in the Poconos, and then uh, Mid-America, the Shelby Meet, I think, was taking place. Uh, the Shelby Meet, National Shelby Meet, SAC, is uh, Shelby American Automobile Club, is this coming weekend. And then, of course, a little small little show up in uh, Leesburg, Florida, it's called The Villages. No, is that Lake Mary? Is that what that is? Lake Mary? What's the no? Village? It's the villages. It is the villages. Yeah. It's the it's villages. It's their car show. Yeah, it's it's, it's the, the village. All, yeah, okay, yeah. so we call it the. I No, not know what part of Florida would you call? it? Is it Lake Mary or Lady Mary? It's like
2: it's. No, they're their own uh, city they're, census. They're registered
1: on the census like that. Oh really? Okay, so the villages, so, Florida. Uh, pretty soon, Florida, the villages. Lake
2: Ma- Mary. Uh, well, yeah, Lake Mary, if you want to call it. That. Well, let's call it Lake County,
1: and it's the villages. How about that? That, that everybody. It's
2: okay. When you step outside their driveway, then it's like Mary. I gotcha.
1: Okay. Anyway, so that's this weekend, this Saturday. And, uh, of course, the big show for the big year is uh, Monterey and the Monterey Historics and Pebble Beach, which is in August. And, of course, meantime, there's a whole bunch of other little things that are taking place. Um, Anyway, so with... uh, the, we played a little clip there, um, Bad Georgia Road, and the reason I did that, it was kind of like a play on, you know, last week I was, uh, week before last, whenever it was, I was ditty bopping up in, in Georgia, and uh, down some of those roads, and I would wager to say that back in the day, those were roads, particularly the ones around Dawsonville, Georgia, and Dahlonega, uh, I'm sure those were some, that's that's moonshine territory up there, and uh, so I just thought, well, we'll just throw that in, and we're actually going to play that another time, but... I figured I might as well get it in while I had a chance. Anyway, so, yeah, music. Okay, so we've got a number of guests tentatively scheduled, but we're going to go to the 80s tonight. Okay, we haven't done that in a while because we're mainly 60s, 70s stuff, and we got some 60s, 70s guys kind of tentatively scheduled for our show. But I thought since the 80s was kind of an interesting time because we had, uh, you know, the hair bands, we had heavy metal, we had... uh, I guess they called it the new wave. Is that what it was too back then? We Little, did have new wave, and uh, then punk, yeah. and then there was all kinds of stuff going on in the uh, all throughout the eighties. So yeah. it, it, you know, and of course we're seventies kind of, sixty seventies kind of uh, oriented. And, but new but, wave came out
2: of seventy eight, sort of, and then made its you know. Oh, oh to
1: yeah, well yeah, we and we escaped disco. Although there's some pretty good disco songs. Nah, if I was a betting man, I'd
2: say there'll be some some disco connection on this show by the time
1: <laughs> our music series continues. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, no, hey, there's, some of the disco stuff was okay. I mean, you know, every genre has some good music. There's no question about that. I mean, you know, and uh, so it'll be interesting to have our guest on tonight. And I think without further ado, what we should do is we should fire up the stereo and go ahead and get him on the air because I think it's going to be a real interesting guest. He's kind of uh, got a, kind of a fascinating background. And he uh, played with a pretty serious metal band, um, an MTV VH1 Top 100 rated heavy metal band back in the day. So. But we're going to keep it a secret until we introduce him to the show. So in the meantime, we're going to play one, a song off his recent album, which I actually play this song from way back when, because uh, another uh, musician out of the 60s out of California did this song and he did a remake of it and I caught this on his album and I thought it was kind of cool so there's a double connection there anyway this song called Darkness Darkness and uh, it was originally written by Jesse Cullen and uh, I think you'll enjoy it hey you're tuned in to Nostalgia Cars, Don't Touch That Doll we'll be right back with our uh, special musical guest for the evening you're tuned in don't tune out Sunset Strip, stars Aldo Ray, Mimsy Farmer, Michael Evans, Larry Mock, Tim Rooney, in The Happening, that blazed headlines across the nation.
2: Well, I tried every
1: Teenagers, wild, beat, protesting, with no direction, no goal, fighting only for the right to be heard. I
0: tried, find to get along.
1: tell you what
0: I'm gonna
1: do.
2: And that's what these demonstrations are all about?
1: We want the police to change their attitude. Win enforcement based on law violation, not length of hair, manner, dress, or economic conditions. Have you ever been to a blanket party? Grass. Grass smokers. Their story is it shouldn't be unlawful. Come on, get with it. Let's go to a freakout.
0: Do you know what acid can do to an inexperienced young girl? I want to know what happened.
1: Five boys have been here.
0: Most shocking film of our generation. Hey, this is Ted Nugent celebrating the American Dream on Nostalgic Radio and Cars.
1: Okay, we're back, and you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce my uh, special guest for the evening. This gentleman is a well-known musician, composer, played with a number of bands, an excellent bassist, and you probably remember him. As his uh, as the basis for a well known band out of the '80s, a heavy metal band called Quiet Ride. he was with them for 26 years. I'm delighted to welcome this evening, Chuck Wright. Chuck, how you doing, buddy?
0: I'm doing great. How are you over there?
1: Pretty good. Now I played that song, that clip, okay? Because we do this a lot of time. We do we play clips on here, you know, kind of because. You had mentioned earlier in a discussion that you, were a, that you uh, do uh, gigs weekly or bi-weekly gigs or bi-monthly gigs at the Whiskey-A-Go-Go. So Sunset Strip, Whiskey-A-Go-Go, all that, there's a connection there. So I thought, well, you know, and then, of course, you're, you're a heavy metal band. And heavy metal, to, you know, back in the '80s, '90s, and even today, you know, compared to you know hard rock back in the '60s, there's kind of there's a correlation there. So I thought maybe you know that might kind of open up a conversation. You might want to kind of elaborate on it a little bit.
0: About about the uh, heavy early days of hard rock and heavy
1: metal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like, when I think of heavy metal, you know, and, and hard rock, you know, of course, I'm a, you know, 60s, 70s kind of guy, so I think of, you know, Deep Purple and bands like that, you know, so, and, and, Let's, and Led Zeppelin. And then, of course, when heavy metal came around, Quiet Riot really was one of the better bands, you know, Metallica. Um, you guys, uh, you know, you guys came on pretty strong, so... How did you, what kind of got you into that style of music, basically, I could would be my first question, I guess.
0: Well, basically, I'm into all kinds of styles of music, which, you know, with my new solo album that's out, people will hear like a variety of things from jazz fusion to prog rock to alternative industrial rock, even Celtic and some folk stuff. But back in the day, um, I was doing, you know, I, I come from the same kind of era you were talking about, Deep Purple and Led Zeppelin's favorite band, you know, John Paul Jones um, and Jack Bruce, both from Cream, you know, uh, Jack Bruce from Cream, big influence on me. But back in the day, um, I don't, I've don't. i never really thought of Quiet Ride as a heavy metal band, even though the album did go to number one um, in Billboard as the first heavy metal um, record to uh, go number one. But something to know is that that music changed the whole fabric of the music scene at that time because New Wave uh, bands like the knack the motels missing persons were the bands that were invoked and then uh come on feel the noise came out and just kicked the doors open for all the sunset rock bands like us um so uh, that's something to be that i'm proud to be a part of i uh, I've being the bass player on am banging your head and don't want to let you go and singing on everything on the Mental health record and they kind of changed everything really but, uh, you know, it's, it all comes from those earlier bands, really, if you think about it. Uh, you know, like Deep Purple, like you mentioned. Humble Pie was a band that I know really influenced Kevin singing with Quiet Riot.
1: You know, uh, your, your latest album, okay, I listened to a number of songs on it. The one song that caught my ear in particular was Darkness, Darkness by Jesse Collin Young. And, yeah. and I grew up in Northern California, so I'm f- from that area. So I, re- I grew up in the 60s during that whole, and in the Bay Area. So I saw all that hippie stuff. And we had some really great music back then. So when you did the, uh, your remake of that, I like it because it's very true to the original song. You didn't really change it that much, but you did a little bit, just enough to kind of put your touch on well, it. When you do a song like that, what, what, what is, where, what, what's going through your mind and what direction do you, you, do you want to go with that? a song like that that's...
0: Um, I saw The Young Bloods when I was a kid, and, and that song's always been a favorite of mine. It's one of those songs when I pick up the guitar, I start to play and sing it, and, and although I have uh, a singer named David Victor um, on the album that was in Boston, the band Boston, but I really wanted to take that song a few steps further into the Celtic world, and um, what you hear when you hear my version, there's three different drummers doing multiple tracks of tribal drumming, you know, I had, of course, I stayed true to the uh, fiddle. I have alien pipe on there, which people are familiar with that sound from the movie Titanic. Um, it's a, it's kind of like a, um, I don't know, it's, it's a horn sound. You, you have to see one to, to really to really get, it's like a bagpipe kind of instrument. Um, and just, I'm playing acoustic guitars and bass on it, and, and uh, it's something I've just always wanted to do. I only have two covers on my album, and the other one, which surprise people is a bjork song from 1995 um that we were just jamming on uh, recording with my my late friend pat torpey from mr big and lanny cordola who was from my band house of lords we'd like to get together and write record and we jammed on that i found the track and that's how that song came to be
1: do you when you, what what do, a lot of um musicians get typecast. And it sounds like you're very versatile. Okay, so you know because you mentioned all the different styles and different genres of music that you do. Um, does that what what? So what basically is the inspiration? Is it because you have diff, different tastes in music, and you, you it's a, a kind of like a, an experimentation type thing where you just want to kind of see where you go with this, like your new album? Okay, you know, Shelter in Sky. What is the, there, there's a theme with, with that particular album, correct?
0: Um, actually, I, would, I wouldn't I say there is. I mean, it feels like it when you're listening to the album. It feels like a concept album. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, I never planned on doing a solo record. I When the pandemic hit, I had the time, finally, because I've been on the road every weekend with Quiet Ride, and I've been running Ultimate Jam Night at the Whiskey A Go-Go every week. Um, so, I finally had time to sit and write music again. And I just basically was writing music that I like. I wasn't thinking about, okay, this is for my new record or whatever. I just was writing music and, and I reached out to friends of mine. I had 41 guests on my album that are all amazing singers and musicians. And uh, I just, it, it just happened. It was organic and uh, there was no plan or concept, but it feels like a concept album definitely when you listen to it from the beginning to the end.
1: You're, um, when, you, when you sit down, and you, you're, you're basically recognized as a bassist. Do you play six-string as well? Do you play any other instruments?
0: Yeah, I, I did, there's a couple of songs on the album that I actually started writing on bass that were going to be um, instrumental-type songs, but I ended up uh, developing vocals for them. But mainly, I, yeah, I'm, I'm playing acoustic guitar on most of the album, a little bit electric, and I'm playing keyboards, some percussion, and I'm doing special effects things on it. The record's real cinematic, sounding very deep. Um, i worked with a a friend of mine who's a a multiple award-winning film composer that mixed and co-produced some of the songs with me, so it has a very cinematic feel to it. Um, You know, like when you listen to a Pink Floyd record, it kind of has that same kind of depth to it.
1: Okay, I get that. Give us a little background on your on your musical your history. So in other words, how did you get started? What uh, I mean, did you start at an early age? Uh, were you influenced by any you know family members, aunts, uncles, nieces, well, nephews? How did, uh,
0: you know what? Actually, I did take some guitar lessons when I was a little kid. And when I was around fourteen, almost fifteen, the kids in my neighborhood uh, had a band, and they were like older, 16, 17, and I was big for my age. They had no idea how old I was. And they said, hey, listen, we got a band, and, you know, we need a bass player. Can you play bass? And I said, well, I think that's only four strings, isn't it? <laughs> so I went to my mom, and I said, hey, I can be in a band if I can get a bass. So she, she you know, went down and got me a bass. And the first, uh, an interesting anecdotal story is, is the, the first uh, musician bass player that I really got into is Jack Bruce from Cream. Okay. He played played an EB3 bass, so I went and got that bass just like his, right? Yeah. So cut two years later, I'm on tour with Carmont Apostle and Vanilla Fudge in Europe and the opening um, act's bass player uh, inherited millions and millions of dollars and started this music collection, you know, Memorabilia, and I went to his house at the end of the tour and he took me into the room and there the bass was the very first song I ever learned was Sunshine of Your Love by Cream. The bass that recorded that was sitting right there that Jack Bruce recorded
1: it. No kidding.
0: Yeah, so I sat down and played the first bass of the first song I ever learned. (laughs) Kind of crazy, but uh, that's one of those, you know, going full circle uh, type songs. But yeah, I started, you know, and I got into the um, scene here in Hollywood. Um, I had my own put together, eventually put my own band together. Um, The thing you need to know is before I became a musician, really, I was in a military school for almost nine years, second command battalion. I was going to go to the Air Force Academy and... All these plans, and I did my first gig with a with a band and i I played at a fraternity party and I drank beer I made seventy five bucks and the girls thought I was cute, so I told my mom this is what I want to do
1: <laughs> <laughs> Where did you grow up at i didn't really
0: and eventually um like the late seventies I had uh, a progressive rock band we were the first band in history to have a, a laser show. we knew a guy that developed the the uh the technology up the Pasadena Tech here, and, and we joined forces, and he would shoot you know lasers off the mirrors, and, and we had a big screen behind us. We had a couple stages, that little quite flying saucers for the keyboards and the drums. It was a really popular band, and around that time is when I ended up playing with um, what became the Mental Health Quiet Riot Band. Um, with It was Dubrow, because Randy Rhodes had left to join Ozzy, and then Rudy Sarzo had left to join Ozzy. So... I was asked to step in and play, and then I got the um, did all the clubs around here, and then we got signed and did the demos that which became the mental Health record. So that's kind of it in a nutshell.
1: <laughs> no, that's great. Um, so when 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 you uh, were, so you grew up in the California in the LA area, if I if I read the story right, yeah,
0: correct? Uh, original Valley dude.
1: Valley dude, <laughs> okay. So, who are some of the other, and I, and I was reading your bio here a little bit, you've actually worked with uh, Alice Cooper, Slash, Greg Allman, and people like that, so you weren't really like a Sessions musicians or anything like that, were you? You just, you just kind of like, uh, how does that work? Because when people read uh, a musician's bio, and they see, well, you played with this band for a while, you sat in with this band for a while, you sat in with that band, how does that work? Tell us about that a little bit.
0: Well, you know, bands are bands, and then being a hired session musicians are they're two different things okay um uh i've done over a hundred albums and i've and i've actually co-produced two reggae records and and i've done seven film scores and i've done all these different things but when you're in a band that that's what you do like with the band house of lords that gene simmons from kiss signed to his custom label that was a band where we worked together and you just didn't get hired to come in when I played with Alice Cooper, um, at the time, I was in uh, Montrose, which is Ronnie Montrose's band. Mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, uh, Rock Candy. Sammy Hager was the singer in that band originally, uh, one of my favorite albums. And I was playing with him, and the drummer um, at the time was Eric Singer, who who you know from Kiss. Uh, and he was going to start touring with Alice Cooper. And he said, hey, do you want to do this Alice Cooper tour? And Ronnie really wasn't working that much so, um, at that time. And it was a 75 75- 17 country tour that started in moscow and ended in lisbon portugal so i jumped on that but that's you know jumping on jumping in and out of things all the time for various reasons um with bands and with just being hired to do things like touring like that that's kind of been my career it's been a roller coaster you know
1: now <laughs> you know when you when here's the thing that's kind of i find kind of interesting so we have a lot of bands that are out there right now um, that let's just say we're out of the, you know, 60s, 70s. I mean, Krieger's out there. America's out there. These are bands that were, you know, these guys are in their late 70s and stuff like that. And they're still out there touring. And kind of what goes through fans' minds is, don't get me wrong, we appreciate it. We think it's great. We'd love to hear them. We're followers, even like, you know, fans of you, yourself. And, but we wonder why, you know, because you always hear how touring is hell. Tom Johnson, I had it from, from Doobie Brothers, I talked to him, I met him out in California at, at uh, one of Bruce Cohn's uh, gigs out there in, in Napa Valley, and I talked to him, you know, at Lion Theme, because he was there just before, you know, he left, I think, in 74, 75, and then it's when McDonald jumped in, and, you know, he just said, look, the the it's a hell on the road, you know, um, uh, Greg Raleigh from uh, Santana, I talked to Greg, we had him on the show, by the way, we had Carmine, was a guest on our show here last fall, um, who you mentioned a piece, yeah. And um, they said it was just, it was, you know, they can only do that for so long, you know, two, three years of that stuff, and it just beats the living daylights out of you. Did you find the same experiences? Or because you jumped around with different bands, it was it was a different experience for you?
0: No, um, actually, I've been on the road. Um, I, I say to people that I get paid to travel that getting on stage is, is a privilege at this point, really. Um, it, it's really, like you said, it's very brutal, especially... When you're getting up there or whatever, just even if you're not older, it's, it's brutal. I mean, without sleep, um, usually it's a red eye flight and you get to the to the whatever destination after a couple flights. And then you have to drive a couple hours and then you go to sound check. Um, you hopefully get a meal in and then you yeah. do the show and then you get lobby call at 3 a.m. again and go back to the airport and fly to another city. It's really it's exhausting and, and hard on you and it's not glamorous. Um, And people got to realize that when musicians are out there, you know, they go to Boise or or, um, uh, St. Petersburg, (laughs) wherever you are, um, they they should take into consideration what it took for those guys to get there to to put on the show for them, you know. Because that's what it's, he's right, it's really hard um, to to keep that going. I don't understand it either. I go, why why do the Stones still tour? (laughs) Well, because they're in a Learjet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But guys like me, we got to go fly commercial, (laughs) you know? Well, I guess where I'm going with
1: this is that, you know, when you look at the, just like the Stones is a good example, you know, and some of these older guys have been around for a while. And again, we appreciate it. We think it's great. But is it because you are, it's like, does it become a way of life that I'm compelled to get out there and entertain in front of a crowd? Is that, is that part of it?
0: Oh, I think there's a lot of elements. I think I think that once you experience that, it's like adrenaline rush. You want to do it and do it and do it. And maybe some guys just want to get away from their wife. I don't know.
2: <laughs>
0: That's a good reason. But um, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to describe what it's like unless you've done it and experienced it. I remember my very first show at a, uh, an arena. We were touring with Deep Purple um, in 1985, and it was a sold-out arena tour. And I remember the first time standing in the wings and the, and the lights went out and hearing that crowd just was incredible. And getting on stage, the, the adrenaline flowing, and it's just hard to hard to explain that, or I don't know what else would give you that kind of rush, maybe hitting a home run at Fenway or something. But um, it's pretty amazing. And I think the, it's addictive, and that could be part of why, you know, the whole lifestyle, the way they people treat you, you know, and all that. Seeing your fans, too, that's always great. I always try to go out after shows and, and meet people and, and kind of ask them why, you know, so how did you get into the band or, or what, you know, or things like that. It's nice to know the people. I like to get to know the people out there.
1: So now you mentioned that you, uh, uh, you worked with, or uh, you, I guess, did you open for Deep Purple? Were you headlined with him yeah. then? Is that the way it was? Yeah. What was it like with, with, with uh, and I don't know, how. how uh, so Richie obviously was there. Um, was Ian there or did they have somebody else?
0: No, it was their it was their Perfect Strangers tour when they reunited. With okay, me all of them, and um, I had a hit song called "Call to Your Heart" with a band called Jafria at the time, and um, we got that tour, which was great. And then we jumped off of that and got on the Foreigner tour, and they had a number one song called "I Want to Know What Love Is" out, so that was a sold out arena tour too. So Interesting. So I got spoiled right out of the, right out of the you know the racing blocks doing touring.
1: That's pretty cool. Now, when you joined uh, Quiet Riot, how many of the original members were still there? Randy Rhodes obviously was probably gone by then. Unfortunately, he passed well, away in that plane crash. but
0: I try to clear up with people, there's really two, two different quiet riots. Okay. the Rhoads' Year's quiet Riot, and then there's the mental health uh, quiet riot, which the producer really wanted to call the band something else. Um, and and uh, who's there also he's the president of the label he. He wanted to call the band Wild Oscar or or Standing Hampton, and Kevin said no way, and just went with Quiet Riot again. So really, it's two different bands. Um, so I tried to like say, well, it's the Mental Health era. That's what Quiet Riot is, and the other, the Randy Rhodes years of Quiet Riot is a completely different thing. It just has the same name.
1: I gotcha. Well, then now did the style of, <laughs> did the style of music change when when you guys took took over the name Quiet Riot? Because Randy Rhodes was a different type of a player.
0: Yeah, well, you know what? He was different in the early Quiet Riot too. It was a lot more poppy style than mm-hmm. he was with us, you know. So yeah, musically it was pretty different from from what they were doing in that band because they were doing some pretty poppy type songs in comparison to what uh, we were doing with the, with the band. Well, so, yeah, I've been I've been playing with them uh, since 1981 until just this last just some few months back, um, off and on for twenty six years I've total time but off and on since eighty one. In and out of the band, I think four or five times maybe. I don't know, something like that.
1: Well, I will tell you this that bang your head Cost me a lot of speakers, six by nines. Okay, because <laughs> thank
0: you. They have the bass mix nice
1: on that one. That well, you know the and I play a little six string and I play a little four string. I, I, I started out with a six string. My the guitar neck was too big at the time. So a friend of mine says, "Well, why don't you uh, try four string?" So I picked up a bass. Problem was, I I picked it like a like a six string because I was used to that. But I see a lot of guys did that back in the day. You know, instead of pulling one, two, three fingers and uh so but i'm not I'm just kind of like a tanker type kind of guitarist and uh but the bass as well as the drummers, you guys are the backbone of the song you know when you get into the okay. beat, it's really the bass player
0: i i you know I've always felt that the bass player and the the drummer like are the engine and what drives the 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 band you know yeah or the what really makes it lock. And, and, and I always say you're only as good as the drummer because I've seen some, some bands and the drummer's like amazing and like the band's amazing, but when the drummer's terrible, the band's bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's really important. It's a, an important facet um, indeed.
1: In well, the drummer keeps the timing going. And then, you know, you, you, the bassist really does the same thing too because you're the beat. And uh, yeah. so, you know, and, and really the guitarist, you know, it's important too, but, you know, a lot of that's fluff. And uh, and and it's and it's 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 but people get into that too because you know when you see when you get a guy on the guitar that can really you know shred and really rip you know you just like wow that guy's really talented and but but uh, unless you play guitar you don't know all the little tricks of the trade you know I mean there's a lot of right. a lot of behind <laughs> like Jimi Hendrix Jimi Hendrix gets, gets all this credit for being the greatest guitarist but really he was a showman more than anything else there's a lot of great guitarists out there. And uh, But he was just really good and smooth, and he just had a style, and, and that's why he's still, I guess... Well, he
0: was, he was an innovator like Jeff Beck with sounds and things, too. Um, as, far as, as far as the bass goes, for me, I build my bass parts around everything. I build it on the kick, around what the kick drum pattern is. Um, I build it around what the vocal melody is, so I do complementary bass parts that match, that work well. Um, and I also build it around whatever the chord is that's being played. Um. There's a lot of different things that you need to uh, take into consideration when laying down bass, bass parts, especially recording. I like to get everything, um, you know, hear all the parts that are going to be happening so that I know what I'm working with, so that I don't step on anybody, and also so that I can play off of whatever's going on.
1: Now, do a lot of musicians... Take that, uh, w- work along those lines? I mean, it sounds like you get into what you're doing, and it's probably all because you're actually writing the music and you're composing the music, so you get into all the aspects. So you're cognizant of the rest of the the, the music the, and, and how all the, the synergy between all the instruments and, and, and the song, correct?
0: Well, you're correct in that on my solo record, but when I get somebody else's material, I prefer hearing everything that's going to be recorded so that I have everything to work with to create my parts. You know, I'm not one of those guys where you hand me a sheet of paper and here's what you're going to play. I I like to take what I'm listening to and create my own thing around all of the elements that I'm listening to within the song.
1: So when you sit down to write a song, what instrument is the what's the first instrument you gra you gravitate to you know a lot of people just grab sometimes they do a piano sometimes they grab a you know just a a a, a a a dreadnought guitar um what's your what's your instrument of choice when you are getting ready well, to write a song
0: it kind of sometimes you you don't plan to write a song it just kind of happens you pick up something to start jamming um i on my album there's a song called the other side and mm-hmm. that one started from getting the phone call that I was expecting eventually, but it came about Frankie Benelli, the Drummond Quiet Ride Passing. And I, I, the 12-string guitar was right next to me. I picked it up and wrote the song in its entirety from beginning to end, the bridge. I even had the chorus melody in my head, I'll See You on the Other Side. Um, and then I finished the verse with, with a singer that he had recently been working with. Um, but that basically, it's a good example of just writing from what you're feeling. Um, I have a song on my album called Weight of Silence that um, I recorded when the pandemic hit, and I was looking around at the post-apocalyptic-looking world that we were living in at that time with nobody anywhere, right? So I, I wrote the music, it's an instrumental, and then I edited a video together um, with drone with footage of uh, New York City with empty, and Rome empty, and Vegas empty, and um, and I had one character that was in a hazmat suit, who's like the last man on earth. And I put that out there and, um, Troy Luchetta from, from Tesla reached out to me, the drummer and I said, Hey, you know, I love your song. I think drums would sound great on that. And I go, oh, I haven't ever thought about that. Um, you want to throw some on there? He has a studio and he did. And the song kind of built, I got a guitar player here in town, reached out to named Alan Hines, who's a great, uh, jazz Fusion guy. He sent me some solo stuff that I added together. All of a sudden it became a new thing. um, and that was all just inspired by dealing with the pandemic. And that song recently just won Best Instrumental and Best Video um, at the Rock Music Alliance Awards and was presented by um, Tony K. from Yes. Wow. It happened three days before my album came out. My album came out March 20th and three days before that I found out about this award. So it's kind of a surprise to me. You know, I was up against Joe Satriani and John Five on that, in that category, so it's kind of cool. Um, nice surprise. But basically, the songwriting thing, it's just it, from different sources. I mean, sometimes I'll pick up my bass and just start jamming, and I'll and I'll go, wow, that's cool, and I'll, I'll hit, have my phone, and I'll put it on Memo, and I'll record it, and then come back to it later, and then build from there. I've done a couple things like that before.
1: Do you have a studio in your house, or do you have to go, uh, you know, Yeah, sit? I
0: do. In fact, my whole album was done during the pandemic, so everything was done remotely. Like, um, yeah, I'm working here at my house, and... You know, with my computer and recording, and and uh, I will send send things to hey check this out, and then they will they would add their part and go, we go back and forth and I would say hey could you try this and until so we get it right, um, but usually it was like immediate. Um, there's one song on my album that's a heavy duty funk tune called It Never Fails, and I reached out to Jeff Scott Soto to sing it, who you might know from Trans Siberian Orchestra, and he, he was a singer in Inve and um, he's got his own solo stuff out there, and he's phenomenal. But uh, rock singer, but I know that he can kick ass on R and B stuff. So I reached out to him for this song to kind of give it that kind of twist. And within three hours, he sent me back uh, the vocal, and I wouldn't I wouldn't change a thing. He's really prolific, and honored to have him on my album.
1: What do you so when you look back and in, in the last thirty thirty some odd years, forty years that you've been playing music and, and with a lot of the bands, what's kind of a memorable? Uh, event for you and who would be one of the i mean have you had the opportunity to play with everybody that you wanted to play with oh hell no (laughs) no
0: i mean uh, i wish jeff beck would give me a call but i want to step up Rhonda's high heels you know she's a great bass player but uh vinnie vinnie's my favorite drummer so he's got like that band's two of my favorite people um yeah, there's a lot of a lot of musicians out there I'd love to play with. I'm very blessed with my event, Ultimate Jam Night, because I put that together and I can sometimes throw myself on songs with guys I want to play with, you know, that I've never worked with before. And I like to also combine people that maybe haven't played together that um, something I'd want to see. I took here's a good example: um, Sugarfoot Mossett and Greg Wright both did the Michael Jackson Thriller tour together. But they hadn't played together since then, so I got a hold of them and said, hey, do you want to come down to Ultimate Jam Night and, and play? And so I put the two of them together after all those years. It, it was really cool. Things so, like that are—and also taking young musicians and watching them grow and throwing them in with super pro players, that's a really good thing, too.
1: So now this is something that—this is the Ultimate Jam Night. This is what you do at the Whiskey A Go-Go, right?
0: Yeah, that's that's it. Yeah, and people can check, check out what we do on ultimatejamnight.com or YouTube has a million videos of different things we did. Um, one night, um, uh, this is a good one. One night, uh, uh, Dax Nielsen, um, who plays drums with Cheap Trick, who's Rick's son, was coming into jam, and he brought, he brought Robin Zander with him. And uh, Robin's backstage with me, and he gets a phone call, and he goes, really? you kidding me. No way. And I go, what was that all about? And he goes, we just got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I go, you've got to be kidding me. And he goes, yeah, but what's odd about that is we got signed into Bowling Alley, and that's the time when we started Ultimate Jam Night, it was at a Bowling Alley. <laughs> the, is, and he goes, I can't believe it. I, I'm going to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I'm hearing about it in a Bowling Alley, and that's where we got signed, it was in a Bowling Alley. So he came out and did Dream Police with us right after that, which was really great. And that's on YouTube. You can see that. There's a, there's a lot of stuff out there. We've had Dee Snider. We've had the guys from Motorhead. And the list goes on and on and on. Um, put together the Eat Him and Smile David Lee Roth Band, and David was there, but the fire marshal shut us down because too many people came. Um,
1: is it hard for you to reach out to these guys, or is it pretty easy? I mean, because you mentioned, like, well, you know, I'd love to work with Jeff Beck. I mean, couldn't you, as a well-established musician, just reach out to Jeff Beck and his PR guy and say, hey, look, I'd like to do a gig with you? <laughs> Doesn't work
0: uh, like that? Uh, not him. There are certain guys I could. Okay. Guys in- and Kiss or whatever, because I know him. But, I, I mean, I don't know Jeff. I know people that know him. But um, I, I he, he's somebody I can't imagine really just picking up the phone and doing that. Plus, I know her, I know his bass player. She's a friend. So, he huh. Um, but uh, there's other guys that uh, eventually um, we will play together out there, you know. Um, part of the thing, like I said, with Ultimate Jam Night, is, is I will reach out to him and, and get him to come in. We're doing... Um, this next show next week is uh, the best of Cal Jam, which, um, if people remember, the Cal Jam festivals were huge like 250,000, 300,000 people. And the first one, um, ELP headlined, and I have Keith Emerson's band.
2: Oh, that's
0: wow. And to do uh, Carnival Number no. 9 and Lucky Man, Mark Bonilla and, and the guys that were touring with Keith before he passed um, are all coming in to play. Things like that are special to do
1: now if i was if i wanted to participate or attend uh the ultimate jam night what does it cost me to get in and do i have to as a special ticketing is it limited seating how does it work
0: no it's you know what i i've tried to keep this a community it's for the community
1: okay the music
0: community, and it's a free show oh really uh, oh yeah it's, i've kept it free i mean i'm not going to have all these musicians come in and charge cover and then you know they're playing for free for one thing and secondly it's basically it's really about the music community and and like I said, we've been going since 2015. We did take a break for the pandemic, but we're back. Um, that's basically how it works. And if you want to play, I bet people via live video. And But most of the people we have are established pro musicians. I do have newer people, but there's a vetting process where, you know, I, I check out videos and I try to find the right song for them. And eventually they get in and some we found some real gems There's a girl that on three songs on my album that I found through Ultimate Jam Night and Whitney Ty, and she ended up co-writing one of the songs with me on the album.
1: Wow, that sounds, I mean, that just sounds really fascinating. I wish they had something like that here in Florida in our area. That would be really cool.
0: Um, Well, you need need a lot of musicians to to make it work. I mean, like I said, I have 45 to 100 of them um, is the most I've had. But I'd say generally it's around between 40 and 50 or so different musicians, um, you know, so it's you need that. You need that pool. It could probably work in uh, Vegas, maybe. We've done one. We've done it a few times a year in New York City, and we did it in Nashville a couple times. Okay, um,
1: you're back to your album now a little bit. So this is the this is your your baby. This album. You have
0: another one in the works. <laughs> oh man, you know what? I do have other songs that I I have, but. Did not finish, and I just finished. I finished these. Like, I, I want to get done with this. I finished the first five songs, and I did the video for um, the Bjork cover. I did Army of Me, and I I, uh, I worked with a 3D animator, friend of mine, on it. And I figured, wow, you know what? I think I've got something here. So I took those songs and the video to some labels, and and um, Ryan Pereira at Cleopatra saw the vision, and and I know him, and um, he he wanted to do it. So that's why. I'm, I'm on Cleopatra right now, and he doesn't meddle. He just lets me do my thing, you know, which is great.
1: A question I want to add we got a few minutes left, but um, when you were first starting out with some of your other bands, did you run into some of the struggles that we used to hear about, about some of the other bands, you know, how they were getting, you know, basically kind of jacked around a little bit by, you know, promoters and, and, and managers and mm-hmm. stuff like that? Did you ever experience well, like that, or did you just kind of. that how about,
0: how about this? the Metal Health record, which I helped get signed. Right. I did the Pubs, got the deal, played on the album, sang on everything. I made a $1,000. Oh, no. Yeah. It, it sold 10 million copies, made over $100 million. And it's just, you know, I was that was my first album I ever did. I was naive, young, and that was all the, the producer doing. I've also had a manager that um, I didn't realize when I signed the contract with him that he had power of attorney, so when I win the went to get my publishing money he'd spend it all you know so instead of getting a I think it was 50 grand or 45 grand something like that my share I got a 500 dollars check so it happens and just about everybody I know in, in this business has had this happen to them because we're about the art we're about the music and less about the business and you really need to know about the business so any young person I always say whatever it is get it in writing you know, don't listen to what people say. Make sure you have it in writing so you have something to come back and enforce if it needs to be enforced.
1: We have a minute or so left. you want to talk a little yeah. bit about your one of the charities you're working on?
0: Um, well, at Ultimate Jam Night, we recently um, did a benefit for um, the World Central Kitchen that's providing meals for the Ukrainian refugees. Um and that that that's a really important um, charity uh, because it's it's an ongoing real thing. And um, actually, one of the songs on the album is called "Throwing Stones," is an anti-war message song that was written before the Russian invasion. I, I encourage everybody to check that video out; it's pretty cool. But as far as the charity goes, we just did something for them in uh, another charity that that I really like uh, that's helped out the mu- music communities. Uh, music Cares is what that one's called, and they actually during the pandemic. My friends were all got checks from them to help them get through the, the, you know, the times where there was no work. We couldn't play, you know. There's no, we couldn't go to a venue. The crew members, nobody had work, you know. So they were they're a really good charity too.
1: So, uh, I guess we got another minute or so left. I I I can't tell time anymore. But anyway, so in your spare time, let's go for another minute. What's some of your hobbies, Chuck?
0: Can I ask you a question? Sure. Go ahead. <laughs> like I. <have> <laughs> That's what's funny. It's like, you try doing all this, I'm like I'm like a juggler with all the different things I got going on. So, I feed my squirrels. That's that? I feed squirrels. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I know you mentioned you go to some car shows and you just walk around a little bit and look at cars. You're not really oh, a car yeah, guy or anything like that, but.
0: I, I love the classic car thing. Um, I love looking at them. I love checking them out. I love dreaming about possibly owning one. Um, you know, and, and and all of that. I mean, I, I love like the old James Bond Aston Martin. Um, what's the other one? I really that that Mercedes, the Gullwing. Oh,
1: the Gullwing three hundred SLS. Yes.
0: Yeah, I, I love that car, and I also like it like an old an old fifty seven Chevy type car too. I'm into that kind of thing as well. Um, actually, I gravitate more towards that the fifties era, um, early sixties body style on cars rather than the, the the Ferraris and all that kind of thing. I'm really into the the those kind of retro cars the most.
1: The classic American cars, yes, absolutely. I agree
0: yeah, with you there. I love what people do to them. You know, and doing like with Quiet Riot, we, we did a lot of you know, the the city events and they'll have a classic car show and I always make sure to go look at all the classic cars and just it, I'm I'm in awe of that and I, I love I think it's great that people have, uh, keep them up and and keep them new looking and do their, and I like to keep it in the original form, but sometimes some guys do some pretty cool things to them.
1: Well, Chuck, we are now almost officially up against the clock. So what I want you to do real quick is I want you, you got a uh, couple seconds here, pitch your album. If people want to find out more about you, how do they go about doing it? And obviously the the whiskey go-go gig.
0: Okay, hey, everybody, um, check out Chuck Wright's Sheltering Sky. You can get it if you're an Amazon member. You can get it on Amazon. No delivery charges if you're prime. Um, you can go to chuckwright.com, which has uh, connections to everything, my videos and where to get the record. And that's Wright with a W, like like the Horville and Wilbur Wright, you know, with the plane. Yeah. Anyway, um, it's pretty much available everywhere. Ultimate Jam Night. Um, UltimateJamlight.com, if you're in Hollywood, it's on Tuesday, every other Tuesday. Now, um, at the uh, legendary whiskey of go go uh, where the doors were the house band.
1: Oh, yeah, but we're not going to tell that story, but Jim Jim Morrison did no. do something there that wasn't exactly uh, appropriate,
0: right? No, no, I mean, yeah, and also, in, in the, yeah, and Janice Joplin passed out in one of the booths, and there's oh, there's all these stories about the legendary whiskey. I mean, I started playing there. So many years ago too like the late i think 79 was the first time i played there and to have that be my home now is special i remember being a kid uh 15 driving my friend was driving the car and i saw the marquee and i said yes five dollars and i went in and saw saw yes and that totally i became a prog person at that point after seeing that i had no idea that you could do music like that so it's it's always whiskey's always played a part in my life since i started music really
1: well chuck we are out of time. I want to thank you very much for hanging out with us here at Nostalgic Freedom, Cars. If you do come to Florida, definitely look us up. we would love to have you sit in with us. And I wish you all the best with your uh, album, your next album, and uh, your Whiskey Go-Go gig. You know? So uh, thank you very much. I'll talk to you sometime. Take care. Very good. All right, listeners, we had a very special guest on. Chuck Wright, bassist for Quiet Riot. Check out their music. Pretty cool. In the meantime, don't forget to check us out here every Tuesday night between 7 and 8 p.m. on the Tap Talk Radio Network. Don't forget, follow us on all social media stuff. And I want to see you guys at some of the car shows. In the meantime, everybody stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. Bring on